Hello everyone, you're listening to the When in Spain podcast. My name is Paul Birch. Hola y bienvenidos. So what have I got in store for you in this episode? I think Andalusia is textbook Spain. I think visitors, when they travel to Spain, what they're looking for is Andalusia and they see what it's like here. That's what they imagined when they got on the plane. Ah, Andalusia. That's the voice of Molly Pickavay, who I'll be interviewing a little bit later. Molly runs Pickavay.com. It's an award-winning travel and lifestyle blog all about Spain, uh, but with a particular focus on Andalusia. Uh, Molly's been blogging about Spain since 2011, and she's originally from sunny Nottingham in the UK, uh, a fellow Brit like me. Um, she moved to Spain uh, back in 1998, first to Barcelona, and then made the move down to the Andalusian city of Granada, where she's been living now for 13 years. So coming up, we're going to be talking about how she got into blogging about Spain, how she started, how it's evolved. Uh, Incidentally, it's become uh, one of the top 50 travel blogs, and Molly will be giving us some fantastic and really useful advice about what to see, do, where to visit, and importantly, what to eat and drink in Andalusia. We'll also be talking about the culture and the traditions and offering some useful tips and tricks about getting the most out of a trip to Andalusia. But first, just to say, wow, the last episode of When in Spain, episode number 34, which was about 16 must-read books about Spain. You guys loved it. Well, at least I'm guessing. It was the most downloaded and listened to episode uh, during its first day and first few days of being published so far in the history of When in Spain. So, wow, amazing, impresionante. We obviously got a lot of bookworms out there. Thank you so much for listening to it. I really hope you enjoyed it and found it uh, useful and entertaining. And just a note on if you find When in Spain episodes useful and entertaining, you may remember in the last episode I mentioned When in Spain patrons. That's right. You can now become a When in Spain patron. And what is a When in Spain patron? It's someone who shows their support for the show by making a regular small monthly donation. Putting the When in Spain show together does cost me some money every month. I have to pay subscription costs to the syndicating platform, editing programs, and I'd also like to devote more time to making the show. So if you enjoy When in Spain and if you enjoyed particular episodes, please, please, please consider making a small monthly donation. It can be as little as $1 a month, $2 a month, 5 7, 10, 15, whatever you think the show is worth for you. And you might think, well, what difference does it make if I if I pledge a dollar a month or not? What's a dollar? It's not going to make any difference. Why bother? Well, if 10 people each pledge a dollar a month, that's $10 a month that helps me cover my costs. If you could forfeit one cup of coffee that you might buy each month and use that money to help support when in Spain, I would be eternally grateful You know, maybe give up your Netflix subscription and the money you save from doing that. You could help by making a small donation to When in Spain. So just putting it out there, if you enjoy the show, uh, there is a way to make a small regular donation. And you can do this safely and securely via the website called 
patreon.com and to find the when in spain page on patreon it's patreon.com forward slash when in spain patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n it's a long and well-established crowdfunding platform that many creatives and content uh, creators use to allow their fans to show their appreciation by pledging small donations and also for being a patron in the future i will be offering uh, bonus content and extra materials uh, available to patron supporters just one more thing before we get into this episode with molly pickaway now i've noticed uh, that many of you who do listen to the show regularly haven't hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast whether it's android or apple or spotify and you might be thinking well why is it so important it might not make a big difference to you on your phone one person subscribing but to me it makes a huge difference because it helps push when in spain up the charts on the given podcasting platforms and therefore gives the show a lot more visibility so when people are looking for new podcasts to listen to they don't have to scroll through pages and pages of podcasts the more people that subscribe to the show the higher when in spain uh, shows up in the podcast listing so it gives it more visibility and by getting more visibility therefore more downloads and with more downloads it helps me attract bigger and better guests they might say "Mm, yeah i might consider going on your show but you know how many people realistically are going to be listening to me how many followers do you have how many subscribers do you have enough i can show them i've got a really huge number of followers and uh, subscribers the more likely they are to take part in the show so let's get into the interview here's me speaking to molly Molly, thank you for joining When in Spain podcast and uh, bienvenida. Talking about your blog, I discovered your blog, I think about a year or so ago. Just tell us a bit about how the blog uh, came about, what made you start it and how it sort of evolved over the years, because you've been blogging since 2011. And am I right in saying that it's one of the top 50 Spain travel blogs or and you've won sort of numerous awards and other things as well? Yeah, there's a lot of questions in that that little section. (laughs) I began the blog in 2011 and basically started because I've been organising events for a long, long time. People who know me, whether it be through work or friends and family, were always kind of asking me, oh, Molly, you know a lot of good restaurants. Where should we go? (laughs) And I became this kind of like yellow pages or something <laughs> so I had these emails which I would send out which were really basic about Granada, Barcelona, London, I can't remember like different places that I knew really well so I'd get these emails and it'd be like my auntie is going to Malaga next week can you tell her <laughs> like and they'd be there all these questions and so I started getting these emails ready so I could just send them out without a lot of work and then I went to this course to do with event management and we were taught how to do a blog and it was basically how to do a blog so that you can promote an event just how it basically started but super basic it was a blog with three pages one page was London one page was Barcelona and one was Granada with one photo on each page (laughs) that was it 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> Did you enjoy taking photos, photography, and writing about Spain? Is, is that what? Well, obviously, inspired you to keep it going and to expand it. Well, I could just start to see that, for example, the Barcelona page got a lot more visits than the other ones, and then I th- I'd go somewhere on my travels and think, oh, this is interesting. I'll pop that on there, and then. Of course, technology has advanced over the last 10 years. That's how it began. And then how it evolved was basically just people emailing me, get, getting kind of community and people asking me for things. Molly, what can you recommend me? I'm going to Valencia. You haven't got anything on your blog. Do you know something? And so I'd get a lot of interaction, whether it be through comments or, or social media or emails. So then that would be kind of motivate me because I think, well, I'm actually making a difference. I'm helping people to plan their travel. And also I've been very careful not to accept um, partnerships or sponsorships for sure. a really long time. Um, the first six years, I didn't have any paid activity on my blog. So it keeps it very honest and very transparent. And now it's the blogs become more professional. I do have um, paid partnerships and affiliates, but I'm very careful about what goes in because I want it to be helpful to the reader. So insider tips, things that you might not find in your usual guidebooks and other blogs like that. Is there a bit of your personality sort of reflected through it? Places that are very dear to your heart? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm not really a beach person. And some people don't understand that. They're like, how can you live in Spain and not be a beach person? That's insane. (laughs) But I'm not. Things that motivate me for travel, basically food, anything historic, architecture. And then when I say culture, I mean things like traditions or local festivals or something that makes a place kind of unique or different from other places. So one of my favorite posts that I enjoyed writing was, um, I think it's ten, called 10 Caves in Andalusia. And I basically I, went around Andalusia visiting caves. And something like that, it just I don't think it's the obvious thing. But I had a whale of a time going to visit all these different caves around Andalusia. And they're all different. Yeah, that's not something you're going to find in a in a normal guidebook, is it? Uh, the top 10 caves of Andalusia. <laughs> Using that as a segue, I guess, because one of my questions, again, was going to be, you've you spent a long time living in Barcelona. You've obviously travelled extensively around Spain. How does Andalusia compare for you with the rest of Spain? It's a big question, again, because, we're, you know, food, culture, traditions. For example, I guess for me and maybe for a lot of people, um, you know, when I was younger and I was a teenager and I, I thought of Spain, it was always the kind of Andalusia image of Spain that, I, that, that came to mind, not, uh, not necessarily uh, Galicia or Asturias or the Basque country. It was this kind of whitewashed, sun-baked, flamenco, tapas, festivals that is a little bit of a cliche I guess do you how how would you compare it yeah it's a little bit cliche but it's true I think Andalusia is textbook Spain I think visitors when they travel to Spain what they're looking for is Andalusia because that's what comes through in the books when they learn Spanish in films 
in writing, such as Hemingway, or when visitors arrive in Andalusia and they see what it's like here, that's what they imagined when they got on a plane. And then other places around Spain, they're not, they each have their own character and they're not what they expect, perhaps. And one thing that I always say to people is that Barcelona is very close to France and Andalusia, where I live certainly in Granada, is very close to Africa. And if you think about it that way, then you can understand how far the culture can be away. Barcelona is obviously part of Catalonia and part of Catalonia is in France and Andalusia was the area which was had under Muslim rule for the longest time. And we still yeah. have things, remnants of that, such as the Alhambra Palace and different architecture throughout Andalusia. Traditions in Andalusia. One fantastic thing, as, as we know about Spain, is that it is a very regional country and each region, each city, each village even hold very dear their traditions that have been going on for hundreds of years. Um, but are there any traditions in Andalusia which are quite distinct, maybe compared to central Spain or northern Spain or the coasts? Probably this is to do with the weather and also to do with people's jobs. I mean, here in Andalusia, agriculture is a big, a big employer still of a lot of people. So if you work in on the land, then your year looks very different than somebody who works in an office. Because if you work in an office, every day is the same. You put on the aircon or you put on the heating and you just plow, plow on. Whereas if you're working outside in the, on the land, the weather determines basically what's going on in the land and what your job's like that day. Because of this, I think the, the local festivities are still so widely celebrated and so widely popular because a lot of the festivities are to do with the wine harvest or the slaughter of the pig, basically to do with the land to do with food but also to do with the land and the time of the year that it is and I think that's why Andalusia's festivals and fiestas are so colourful and so widely celebrated and attended as opposed to other ones in other areas that tend to be one day two days a weekend here the festivals the fiestas can be 10 days yeah, if you compare the, the ferias in the in Andalusia can, to the rest of Spain, Andalusia seems to have a fame for its for its festivities and its parties and its fiestas and its ferias outside of Spain, but also across Spain as well, I guess. And even the corporate world, when there's companies in Andalusian cities during the week that is the main festival, they only work in the mornings. So the two worlds collide. You know, it's not that, oh, well, we've moved on. We're now working in an office, so therefore we don't go to Fiesta. No, they still go to Fiesta. <laughs> it's important here. Social life here and family life is really important. The festivals are, are part of that. The seasonality here is so important in food and, and in life generally. And I think that's because we're in the south of Spain and the, and the weather here is it can be very extreme. So in Granada, we can have fierce winters because we have the Sierra Nevada mountain range here um, mm -hmm. where people are skiing. It can, it's cold, I mean, really cold. And then in summer, we can be 45 degrees and melting. So when you live somewhere with such extreme temperatures, you have to plan your social life around that. Going back to food 
for someone who's never been to Andalusia before, are there any particular foods that you would say are absolute must-eats or must-drinks, things that you absolutely should try, things that are very representative of the region? And I guess Andalusia is a huge region as well, so it also depends on the different provinces as well and different cities. I would say that if you come to Andalusia and are interested in food, then to stay 14 days, because then you get 28 meals. <laughs> yes, if you stay shorter, you don't get 28 meals. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things. I mean, it's as you say, it's vast, and yeah. the whole of South of Spain is a vast area, and we're sure. very into our agricultural and seasonal and local variations. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much endless. But the most important things to focus on would be the the ham from Welva, so Habugo, Iberian ham. That is a must. You must look out for the acorn-fed Iberian breed. can be a little bit pricey, but it's well worth that. If you have the proper ham, it should have a melt-in-the-mouth quality. tastes a little bit like forest. You should mm. be able to notice the acorns. Of course, the sherry wine from Jerez or San Luca or Puerto de Santa Maria. That wine matched with the ham. It's also incredible. If you have the dry wine without ham, you probably pull a face. So the the vino fino, the the sherry, the exactly. the dry. We're not talking about the sickly sweet necessarily, which that maybe a lot of people outside of Spain might be familiar with. It's a very very dry, served almost ice cold. Served so. ice cold, and if you can have it with um, the red prawns from the coast or ham, that's the best pairing for that. But you have to drink the dry sherry and eat the ham or eat the fish. And that's when you get the nice flavour notes. It's incredible. But sherry, of course, has lots of different types of sherry. As you said, the sickly sweet. You've got the dessert Mm -hmm. wine, which is Pedro Chimenez. And the stuff we have in the UK, where I'm from, is what we call pale cream. That's what we have with the mince pies at Christmas time. The Spanish don't tend to drink much of that. Most of it is exported to the UK. My favourite sherry actually is one in the middle of the range, which is called Oloroso or Amontillado, which is a really yeah. good um, a good thing to pair with artichokes and mushrooms. They're difficult foods to pair. If you drink it with that, it's quite sophisticated and a very nice balance. But sherry, there's a lot to discover. That's a good Absolutely. visit to do if you if you can get to the Cadiz area. Visit one of the bodegas yes. and yeah, then they lot. can tell you all the different sherries and you can find your favourite one. In Andalusia, there's a lot of ze- what we call zero-mile produce where the vegetables, for example, in Granada and parts of Malaga, we grow mangoes, which of course don't aren't refrigerated before they get to the shelves of the supermarket or of the market. So the mangoes are velvety, juicy. Uh, You can barely even slice them. They're incredible. I think people don't realise how much variety we produce locally in Andalusia. It's not only about the ham and the sherry, but we also have a lot of vegetables and fruit that's later can be exported to the rest of Europe. When I think of Cordoba, um, I think of rabo de toro, bull's tail, like a stewed bull's tail. Is that uh, is that something that is actually commonly eaten, or is that something that is sort yeah. of sold to tourists? 
No, 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 no. It's commonly eaten, yeah. Um, in Cordoba, that's one of the most well-known dishes, together with samorejo, which is a tomato puree served cold with bread, and also aubergines or eggplant. They're fried with sugar cane honey, and they're so addictive. They I are, could just eat a bucket full. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I've seen them like as sticks, but also sliced very thinly, like crisps almost. Yeah, sometimes they serve it and it looks like Jenga. And sometimes, yes. like you say, it's like it's like crisps or chips. But I don't um, care how they serve them. I love them all. <laughs> with the essential drizzle of honey on top. It's an yeah. amazing combination. And salmorejo you mentioned as well. I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's fairly common across Spain, I, I guess. From I, I absolutely adore salmorejo. I think on a hot day in Andalusia, a nice cool bowl of salmorejo with some jamón and the uh, egg, hard-boiled egg on top. One of my all-time favourites. And that's found throughout Andalusia is that right or we've also got gazpacho as well and I I can't yeah. remember the name and, and I think in the Malaga province they've got their own version it's got a different name and I can't remember what it is yes there's so many so in Antiquera they've got something called the porra which, ah, is, al- which yeah. is almost like it almost stands up I mean that is like a mashed potato like a runny mashed potato type consistency and then salmorejo that would be similar to pura, but then gazpacho is again different because it's liquid. There's no bread in there. Gazpacho is like a, a salad. So it's cucumber and um, garlic, tomato, but no bread in there. And gazpacho is more Seville area. Of course, um, it's hot in Seville, so they want something very refreshing. So they basically have salad in a glass. And pura and tequerana that's a kind of more of a meal it's more filling so yeah there's lots of variations moving on from food we could we could be we could talk for hours just about food in andalusia i wanted to ask you i mean it's quite a difficult question i suppose but your kind of favorite corner of andalusia a place that maybe if you ever get some time free time is like your go-to place to retreat to where would you choose or if not a specific place a kind of province of Andalusia well that's really hard but well it it really would depend on the day the place I spend least time but I most want to be is in Cadiz because Cadiz um the people there are so lovely and warm and welcoming and it just seems the place to be very kind of chilled out and relaxed people would say that Andalusia generally is like that but Cadiz seems to be a little bit more so than the rest of Andalusia I think it's to do with the light Cadiz seems to have a special light like the skies seems to be bluer and the sunsets seem to be prettier I don't know what it has there's something special about Cadiz I completely agree with you. I, I would have said Cadiz as well. Like you said, very laid back city vibe, but it's not too big. Really, really beautiful. It's got kind of like a decadent, tumble down quality, like sort of faded glory kind of quality yeah. to it. Something I particularly like, this faded glory vibe. And another yeah. place in Cadiz that has that is a place called San Luca de Barameda. Uh-huh. It's exactly the same. It's kind of ramshackle palaces that are a little bit crumbly, but they're still beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Cadiz is quite unusual 
in a sense that really nearly the whole well the whole city or the uh, the old part of the city is on a is a peninsula basically that juts out into the sea so you can walk around sort of three sides of the city uh, which kind of is another unusual kind of element to it i find yeah one of the streets is called alameda apocada and it's full of ficus trees and strelitzia flowers which are known as bird of paradise flowers very exotic type lush plants and you you're walking along there and you can see the sea and on the other side you can see all these old buildings in the middle of there i'm not sure if it's still there there used to be a bar that had a terrace and would put the and would serve these amazing mojitos and every time i'm in cadith i would spend the evening there (laughs) am i right in thinking that cadith is the oldest continuously settled city in in europe or in spain or something like that i can't remember Spain, definitely. In Europe, possibly, yeah. There's a very famous uh, fish bar or restaurant there called Friedoria Las Flores, in a, a square called Las Flores. I eat fish, but I don't like a lot of seafood, like shellfish. And went in, ordered, and I wanted to choose a few things that would, were different from fish. So as for Russian salad and saladilla rusa, and some croquetas, as well as all the other fish things that I'd ordered. And the waiter said to me, I'm not bringing you the ensaladilla rosa. And I said, why? He says, you can't come here and have that. It's not the best that we serve. So he was like thinking that this girl, she doesn't come here very often. And I want her to have the best of what we serve, not the worst. So he refused to serve it to me because he was concerned about it not being really, really delicious. And I guess you can get ensalada rosa anywhere in Spain. More or less. Yeah, but I just thought that's how <laughs> waiters are in Cadiz. They're in the incredible. They, it's as though it's like their personal pride in what they're serving you. And even though I was foreign, and I yeah. still remember that. And I just think, where in Spain would you find something like that? It's just only in Cadiz. Thinking about somebody who's coming to visit Andalusia for the for the first time and maybe got I don't know a week or fairly limited time what would your recommendation be in terms of some kind of itinerary that you would say are must see places for a for a first time visit to Andalusia now this is a very loaded question and I'll <laughs> tell you why this is this is what I do more or less all the time I email people I even prepare itineraries for people with massive amounts of information. Yeah. Um, that's a service I I have. And I even provide concierge services for more luxury markets so I can, I can go with people on their holidays and make sure yeah. that everything turns out how they want it to turn, turn out. So I'm like a guide, but not a guide, not an official guide for the history of the place. More like, yeah. A concierge and the reason I say it's a loaded question is because what each person is looking for is a different maybe different than what I think myself yeah so a family may be more concerned that the children are happy obviously people who read my blog they tend to be heavily interested in food or history or both but then other people may be more interested in 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 hiking or mountain biking or god knows what so normally when people ask me that question 
I like to hear a little bit about who they are before I reply. <laughs> but to answer your question, as if you were a reader of my blog, and therefore yeah. it would be history and gastronomy types land. The must-see place in Andalusia for me at the moment is Cordoba. It breaks my heart when I hear people say, we're doing Andalusia in a week and we're going on a day trip to Cordoba. It kills me because <laughs> you can't see Cordoba in a day. No, and people no. just think Cordoba is the mosque or it's just the patios. But Cordoba is really special. Cordoba is special because, wow, you've got the Jewish quarter, the patios. There's the Medina Azara, which has just been declared UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is an archaeological site, I think about 10 kilometers outside of Cordoba, which was a palatial city and was the kind of headquarters of the Caliphate of Cordoba. The mosque, of course, which is unique. I mean, that was the biggest mosque at the time of its construction. And it, at the heart of the mosque, you've got a Catholic cathedral in the centre. It's just a unique building. So Cordoba, I think you need two nights and three days to see it properly, to enjoy the food there. There's a Michelin-style restaurant called Noor, which is absolutely outstanding. Paco Morales, the chef there, is um, combining the Moorish fusion with local products and it's just off the scale amazing. Cordoba to me is quite an unsung hero in Andalusia. Absolutely and if and if you were I guess maybe flying into Madrid it's super accessible on the Ave high-speed train as well I mean I think it's an hour and a half or something like that. Yeah and also I mean they've got the royal stables you can go and see the horses there perform these Andalusian horses they sometimes combine the show with flamenco as well and it's it's quite magical so mm-hmm. I think Cordoba is somewhere that people spend go there from Seville on a day trip and they're not seeing yeah to Cordoba's to stay there to wander the streets to get lost to have yeah. time there, not to rush around. I didn't even mention the Alcázar of Cordoba with its beautiful gardens. Cordoba is an, is an inland uh, Andalusia. If you had to recommend one more place but like that is on the coast for people who maybe, let's say, have children and want a sort of more of a beach or a seaside vibe, is there anywhere that's particularly accessible yes. but interesting that you'd recommend? I really like Almeria coast. I spend all of my summers there. Almeria is not a well-known destination. It's very good value for money, extremely good value for money, and very a very good option for families because there tends not to be a lot of built-up resorts, um, very safe, and it's also a destination for many Spanish tourists, so maybe people from from other Andalusian cities spend their summers in in Almeria or people from Valencia so when you go there it's very authentic it's not doesn't feel touristic it doesn't feel it's not full of Germans and Italians and Brits like maybe the Costa del Sol or Benidorm it's not kind of like that it's very unspoiled I find it completely charming and and so relaxing in in summer it doesn't seem to get like packed with traffic and chaotic like some other coastal areas of Spain do. For 
anyone travelling to Andalusia again for the first time, could you give any kind of do's and don'ts? Something that I often say is that, especially from the people from the from the states, from America, um, think that because Andalusia doesn't seem to be a massive um, space when they compare it to their country, they think the distances between Malaga and Granada, for example, are short, or Seville and Malaga are short. They think they just need one day in each place, and this is a big mistake. Because generally, no matter what village you stop off at, there's always something to see. There's not huge areas with nothing there, as there may be in other countries. If you go from Seville to Malaga along the way, there's so many points of interest that you may want to stop off at. And generally, you need more time than than you think for places. So I think a week in Andalusia really should be split into two different places so for example stay some nights in Seville some nights in Granada or some nights in Cordoba and some nights in Malaga and then maybe a day trip but not to try to do the whole of Andalusia in a week because it's just not possible you would just end up running around like a mad thing and not really seeing anything and being tired totally agree it's a huge region and you know even if you're driving or you're being driven uh, some of the routes between Andalusian cities don't just go in straight lines they never go in straight lines <laughs> well they never go in straight lines because of the the rugged landscape so you might just look at I don't know the distance between Seville and Cordoba on a map and think oh yeah okay that's that looks doesn't look too bad but actually the reality of motorway driving and the roads are fantastic but they don't des- don't necessarily go in a very direct route there was an, one other point, and that's um, there are a few places in Spain and in Andalusia that are very high in high demand from tourism. So, for example, there's a hike called Caminito del Rey in Malaga. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Um, I, which is, I personally did that last uh, in January, actually. Oh, well yeah. done. Um, amazing amazing wow I mean you have to have a head for heights because it's a it's a kind of walkway through a a gorge above a river and various dams and things hanging bridges yeah yeah hanging bridges which are just made of like wire mesh and you can see directly through the bridge when you look down sorry I interrupted you but I just say I, I was blown away by it I loved it so Caminito de Rey it's on a lot of people's bucket lists and a lot of people who like hiking, when they see the the location, they get really excited and want to do it. So Caminos del Rey and the Alhambra Palace in Granada, there are two places that are very in very high demand. And you need to book the tickets and get the passes a long time ahead if yeah. you've only got one day where you can do that or say... I can only do that on the Tuesday morning on the 10th of June or whatever. You need to plan those things really far ahead. So the Alhambra Palace, for example, I think it's about 60 days ahead of time. So two months before you want to visit, you should be buying your ticket or or longer further ahead. And Caminito del Rey, I don't know how far ahead you should be buying it or how it works as well as I do the Alhambra, but I know you need to book in advance. 
you definitely need to book in advance and i can't remember we went in january so kind of lower season i suppose it was um but it was still quite busy but when did you book it like a month before i think about a month about three weeks to a month before yeah Yeah. Yeah. and and that was for january so i imagine if you're going uh, higher season people think that like you know if you go to the uk to national trust you just park up your car go and buy a ticket and go in and I think a lot of people think these things in Andalusia are the same, and they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> the other recommendation about the Caminito del Rey is that uh, you have to walk for about half an hour to get to the beginning of the, the trail, beginning of the hike, where you show your ticket. And you're given a ticket usually with a specific time slot to, to okay. go in. So my advice is uh, it does get quite busy, and it's quite hard to park because uh, you really can only really get there by by car so my advice is yeah get there with like an hour in hand before your uh, start time on your, your ticket, ticket time yeah yeah because it's a good half an hour walk to the beginning of the hike and it can be really tricky to find somewhere to park your car it sounds anyway. to me like you need a picnic before you start the walk 100 <laughs> percent. that'd be the best thing to do yeah, yeah. so you need two picnics <laughs> one for before and one for after <laughs> yeah although it depends afterwards you might not feel like eating you might just need a strong drink any other do's or don'ts i think it would it would be nice if you were visiting andalusia that you learn a little bit of spanish even if it was just hello you know gracias thank you and just a few odd phrases i think they can go a really long way and people are generally very friendly and they're used to hearing French and other other languages, English and German. But if you try and kind of put a few Spanish words in there, the locals will really appreciate it. Molly, thank you so much for joining me on the When in Spain podcast. Pleasure. So there you go. That's Molly. And uh, if you'd like to head over to her blog, the website is picave.com. It's P-I-C-C-A-V-E-Y.com. I'll also put a link in the show notes. So just before I go, uh, a quick note to say what's coming up in the next episode. Um, well, I caught up with a friend of mine who is a professional flamenco dancer. And she kindly invited me along to one of her advanced flamenco dance classes And in the episode, we're going to be talking about everything to do with flamenco, its origins, history, all of the different elements that make up flamenco, and also some recommendations about where to see good flamenco shows in Spain if you're planning to go and see one. So that's coming up in the next episode of When in Spain. Uh, Just a quick note also to say When in Spain has a presence on all the usual social media hangouts. We've got an active and very friendly Facebook group that you can join for free if you enjoy photography from spain when in spain's got an instagram account and you can also head over and subscribe to when in spain's videos on the when in spain youtube channel and if you'd like to get in touch with me directly with any questions or suggestions you can do that via when in spain one at outlook.com so that'll about do it for this episode thanks for your support and thanks for listening Uh, como siempre and well speak again next time until then hasta luego